Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex through BTN, and we're back at it with another episode following a historic weekend in the Big Ten with um, one of the biggest upsets we've seen really in the last 40 years or so with Illinois knocking off number six, Wisconsin. And uh, just since that was such a big event, major event in college football, such a big upset, um, figured I'd try and use some connections I have to that campus being an alum of that university and uh, try and get a guest that would provide a unique perspective on that experience. So the guest for this episode is former Illinois wide receiver Mikey Dudek. For those who have watched Big Ten football um, this decade, probably remember Mikey Dudek for, first off, his outstanding freshman season in Illinois. He's one of the best wide receivers in the country that year in 2014. And then for his uh, tough luck in the injury department following that season. So he had three season-ending injuries um, through his final season last year in 2018 and is now retired from football. But he was at the game on Saturday when Illinois upset Wisconsin, was on the field celebrating with his former teammates, and um, he was happy to come on and discuss that experience and also his college experience playing at Illinois and kind of how he dealt with all the injuries and, and the adversity that came his way. So... I uh, really appreciate Mikey for jumping on and uh, just kind of updating us and uh, letting us behind the curtain a little bit of his life and uh, that wild upset over the Badgers this past weekend. So that's the first 25 minutes or so of the show. After that, we bring in BTN researcher Harold Shelton for his weekly Stathead segment. And if you're not a regular listener to the show, Harold comes on um, every week during football and basketball season to go behind the numbers and break down what's going on in Big Ten play, and especially during football season. Look back at the weekend that was in the conference and look ahead and uh, project out what's going to happen or what might happen coming up in, in this case, week nine of college football. So first up, Mikey Dudek, followed by Harold Shelton, and we'll toss it over to the former Illinois wide receiver first to take 10 podcast discussion with Mikey Dudek. It starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by former Illinois wide receiver. He's a freshman All-American back in 2014. It's none other than Mikey Dudek. Mikey, how's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. And uh, just off the top, I got to kind of address the elephant in the room because we connected recently on LinkedIn, and I noticed that you were going by Mike Dudek. You dropped the Y. So tell me, you know, if this is just like a formal thing or what went into the decision-making process to uh, to rebrand a little bit? Yeah, so I don't know if – I guess it's a rebrand for me in the work world or I guess a new brand. Um, so I just – I started working back in January. And, you know, I my whole life I've been Mikey. always introduced myself as Mikey. And I was like, you know what? It might be time to drop the Y, like you said. Um, so starting in January, once I started working, um, I introduced myself as Mike now, whenever I'm in the, the work zone, work world. Uh, but you know, outside of that, you know, everyone still calls me Mikey, uh, my parents, brother, you know, all my friends, my girlfriend, they all still call me Mikey. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny because when I went to Illinois the first time, um, when I, I graduated early and went in the spring of 2014, um, I 
tried to do the whole Mike thing as well. And then eventually everybody just started calling me Mikey again. And then Mikey just stuck from there. And I'm kind of seeing that similar pattern now, believe it or not at work where a couple of my coworkers are referring to me as Mikey. So we'll see how long Mike actually lasts. Yeah. I feel like you're still Mikey to everyone at, at BTN and to all your fans. So uh, we'll, we'll stick with that for the rest of the podcast. And before we even get into the football stuff, you mentioned your job and, and, uh, kind of your life at work. Fill us in on what you're up to now that football is in the rearview mirror and you're uh, in the working world. Yeah, so I am, uh, I'm working for a company in Oak Brook. Um, it's a wealth management company called Mariner Wealth Advisors. And right now I am studying to earn my CFP, Certified Financial Planner, um, and then one day hope to you know manage clients uh, the, same, the same way that my boss does. So I work under a guy and he's kind of mentoring me in that aspect um, of learning how everything goes. And I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, I'm learning a lot. Uh, it's just, it's taking a little bit to get used to the whole nine to five thing. Yeah, it's good to hear that you're putting that uh, business degree at Illinois to good use. And definitely we can get into uh, some of your, your personal exploits here um, in a little bit. But I, I wanted to circle back to the reason I kind of wanted to have you on this week. And for obvious reasons, it's it's the big win for Illinois over Wisconsin, really a program-changing win for a team that you put a lot of work into and um, on a campus you spent a lot of time at down in Champaign. And you were there for the win over Wisconsin. I saw some video of you on the field. So um, just I guess my first thought is, were, were you there just because it was homecoming or do you get to a lot of games? What led you to that game in particular? Uh, I mean, my girlfriend still goes to school there. Uh, she graduates in December. Um, so I was, I was planning on going up, uh, to see her and then, you know, it was homecoming as well. And a lot of my former teammates were going up as well. So it was going to be cool to see everybody. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I, I was really confident going into this game. Um, I know Wisconsin is, is a powerhouse, uh, year in and year out, but I really thought, you know, we matched up well against them. Um, believe it or not, I was probably, you know, part of the 1% that actually thought that. Um, but, you know, I was just looking forward to a, to a good Illini football game. And, uh, you know, considering the outcome, um, I'd say it went pretty well for us. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that belief and confidence because I'm curious from, like, the player's perspective. I mean, you were in that locker room as recently as, as last year. And I'll be honest, I did not think that this could happen this week or this past week I thought maybe you know going into this season Illinois could upset an Iowa or Michigan State but you know after they lost Eastern Michigan and Nebraska a few weeks ago I thought the walls might kind of cave in on this season so just from like a player's perspective and, and what you think might be going through those guys heads do you think that a lot of players in that locker room believed going in that they could still win a game and, and beat a team like Wisconsin yes you know I 100 percent um just knowing a lot of the guys that are still on that team uh, you know the leaders of the team uh, reggie corbin jake hansen dele um they would never put their team uh out on the field when they're not confident um they're you know all week preaching to them you know just because they're the number six team in the country you know doesn't mean that we can't go out there and beat them and then i know the the wins haven't came this year um, like we'd want them to, but there's been flashes with this team. I mean, the, the third quarter going into the fourth quarter, we whooped Michigan. You know, now it was just putting the full 60 minutes together, and that's, you know, something we hadn't done in the last, you know, five, six years. 
um, for the Illini. So, you know, I, I know those guys were confident just knowing that if they could play their game for 60 minutes, they could, you know, compete with anybody. And um, Saturday it showed that. Yeah, I mean, it's a big testament to how that team's responded because you, you see it sometimes in football where the belief kind of drains out of a, of a program's kind of collective psyche. And like you said, it seems like something clicked at halftime of that Michigan game and the last six halves or six quarters of football have been played have been really really good have been top 25 caliber football and you know instead of folding they kind of have gone the complete opposite way so I want to know about your kind of viewing experience of the entire game because I saw a video of you on the field after the game like take me from the time you arrived near the stadium uh Saturday morning and throughout how did you kind of take this game in yeah so I I got there um and I actually showed up a little bit late to the game. Um, I was out tailgating with uh, some buddies, and we were walking in, and they have the TVs in, in the uh, common area or, or whatever it's called. And I saw it was already 7-0. I'm like, oh, man, like not again, you know. But um, when I was out there, you know, I, I never saw any quit in our guys, and I never saw Wisconsin start to pull away. Um, and I'm a big believer in momentum um, in all sports. You know, if the momentum's on your side, then – there's not many things that can stop you. And I never felt the momentum shift. It was kind of right in the middle uh, of the entire game until, you know, the, the six minute mark in the fourth quarter, when Brandon threw that, threw that touchdown pass. Um, then I, I knew we were going to go win the game. I knew we were down, down by two. Um, and then Tony Adams, you know, coming up with that big interception, then Dre Brown, the big, you know, 20 or so yard run um, to set us up for in, in field goal range. Um, but I was just, I was actually standing right underneath the goalpost when James kicked it. And, you know, honestly, it was one of the, the greater moments in my life. So did you storm the field with kind of the rest of the fans and whoever else was mingling <laughs> around down there? So it's actually, when, when I ran out on the field, um, I before he kicked it, I, I was talking to my girlfriend and, and a couple of my friends. And I was like, once he makes this, like I'm running out there. Like, I'm, I don't care. I'm just, I'm storming the field thinking that, you know, everybody would follow me and, you know, the kick went in and I didn't even think I just took off running and I'm running and the ref is standing at like the 15 yard line and turns around and looks at me and I'm looking at the ref and it felt like we locked eyes for like two years. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, cause then I looked around me and you know, nobody else was running out there. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, am <laughs> I going to get a penalty, you know, Wisconsin to get one untimed down and then, you know, who knows what could have happened. Um, but, but thankfully he didn't throw it and, and I was able to celebrate with the guys. Yeah, it's actually hilarious because if people aren't familiar with the stadium setup, I mean, the student section is like 30 feet off the ground, so it takes a while for them to get down there. You probably, you know, were one of a handful of actual fans that were on the sideline in position to storm the field, and I just love that you had that, like, brief moment of panic <laughs> that they yeah. might call it back or, like, something, you know, that you did might, might cause it. Um, but even beyond that, like, I I'm just curious from your point of view was it bittersweet at all like to celebrate kind of as a, as a bystander now as a fan or did you just feel still like a, as an extension of that team almost because a lot of those guys you know were your teammates less than a year ago and and you've been around the program forever how did you kind of approach it after you've reflected on uh just the aftermath of the win you know it's it's really hard to explain um I think bittersweet would be a good way to put it um you know I'm so happy for those guys and I know, you know, you talk about building a program, laying the foundation, but, you know, ultimately those guys went out there and won on Saturday. Um, so, you know, I'm as happy as I, I could be for them. 
Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's a testament to what, you know, coach Smith has been preaching from day one, you know, you, you never turn something around overnight and I'm not saying the program's turned around off one win, you know, it's, it's something we need to build off of. Um, but it, it was a pretty surreal moment and, and it's honestly, it's super hard to explain. I, I really, you know, after I ran out on the field, I'm not sure what happened. I, I was so excited and my emotions were getting the best of me. Yeah. So the reason I knew you were on the field and kind of gave me the idea to uh, try and hit you up and, and get you on today was uh, the video that, that kind of went viral of you talking to our guy, uh, Isaac Trotter. I think he works for um, the Illini Inquirer, I believe. Um, posted a video and you said, this is what we needed. You know, now Illinois is back on the come up. And you just mentioned that there's, you know, still work to be done. There's, there's a long way to go. But I, I do think this was the win that they needed because, you know, like I said before, if you if you beat a team – that maybe is not as high profile as Wisconsin or say, you know, you, you win against Eastern Michigan and, and Nebraska, but you lose against Wisconsin. I don't know if that does enough to instill the belief in the fan base, the, you know, the collective psyche of the players. I think this win, you know, has that potential. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on how it kind of moves the program forward and what you think, where do you think the program can go from here? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree completely 100% uh, with, what you just said uh you know obviously a eastern michigan win is is a pat on the back you know nobody really talks about it because it's expected of you um and then nebraska you know that, that game could have gone either way you know nobody really knew who was going to win that game going into it uh but beating a team like wisconsin like that that says a lot you know that is a a statement win i mean it was all over the country i couldn't go on twitter without seeing some somebody talking about it you know even now you know i'm seeing uh, all these networks putting things out there about illinois you know coach smith winning all these coach of the week awards um and that that's something that you need you know you need that statement win to to get you over the hump but again you know it goes back to that win it's it's cool to talk about but if you don't build off of it then you know it's only cool to talk about it it didn't really change anything and i think that's what's most important um, for this program is, you know, to come out against Purdue and just play like you did against Wisconsin and get a win. Cause you know, if, if you end up losing to Purdue, getting blown out to Purdue, um, then, you know, all that talk is, is all that negative talk is just coming right back to them. Yeah, it's well said. And you mentioned earlier kind of what Lovey Smith has been preaching and how that message hasn't really changed. And I'm curious, <clears throat> having played for him for a few seasons, what, the program is like under him in general um you know you hear the term with some older coaches especially ones that come from the nfl like the ceo term somebody kind of oversees everything and i just want you to take me inside those walls and and describe how he manages the program and and why you think um you know he still has a lot of those guys believing in him yeah because you know coach smith he's a big believer on on a player run team you know it's run by the locker room um when i was you know, getting up there, um, junior, senior year and age. Um, I really saw it more, um, out of him just taking, you know, recommendations from guys, you know, how's practice going? Um, do we need to give you a little more rest on your legs? Just things like that. You know, he's always looking out for the best interest in his players because he knows, you know, if the players aren't happy, then, you know, there's not going to be a good product out on Saturdays. Um, and that's what's most important, but, you know, coach Smith, he's a really laid back guy. Um, you know, he doesn't show too much emotion, although I did see him celebrating Saturday and it brought a smile to my face when I saw him like throw his arms up in the air and start running. 
probably the first time. I mean, I was a big time Bears fan too. I never saw him do anything like that. Um, so just you know, seeing stuff like that, um, you know, as a player that just just shows you um, what type of coach Coach Smith is, and knowing that he always has your back, and you know, is excited for the team as much as he is for himself. Yeah, I've seen a lot of Lovey Smith interviews over the years uh, as a as a Bears fan as well, and then working here. And that was the first time that I saw him really get emotional, and his voice was cracking in that post game interview. And it was uh, it was wild to see for sure, because like you said, he's such a laid back guy. Um, yeah. s- switching gears, Mikey, to your career, because I want to you know for for non Illini fans listening or, or those who aren't as familiar with your background, I want to get your perspective on um, what was such a roller coaster career at Illinois. Um, for those who don't know, you had three season ending injuries after an All American freshman year at wide receiver and you know you hate to kind of put a ranking on these types of things or, or um you know designate them in in certain I guess boxes in your memory but I'm just curious was one injury or one of the years any harder on you and um you know on your on your mentality and your psyche harder than the others or were they all kind of different for you I just want to want to know how you kind of process each one yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. Um, it's they're hard to, I guess, rank. Um, but the the one that took the most mental toll on me was probably my last one, my senior year. And the reason it took a lot of out of me mentally was because, for one, I knew I was done, uh, like football for good. You know, I've been playing football since I was five or six years old, since I was in kindergarten. Um, so this this is my first fall this year um, without having to suit up, which is has been kind of crazy, honestly. Um, but just th- that that last injury, um, it hit me hard, you know. But at first, I was in shock. I mean, you you can talk to my roommate Nick Allegretti, who's now balling out for the Chiefs. You know, so proud of him. But it was uh, at first, I you know I seemed like the normal me. You know, you wouldn't think I just got injured for the fourth time and, and ended my career. Um, but now, you know, it's, it started to hit me later in the season. And then it's been a little difficult this fall, uh, just, just dealing with watching the games and not having a game to suit up for myself. And just with how these injuries occurred, you know, like I, I remember, I think a few of them, if not all were kind of non-contact. I could be wrong. Correct me on that if I'm wrong, but do you think looking back now that you kind of stepped away from the game a little bit, do you think things could have worked out differently? Or, or do you think, you know, just with the nature of these injuries that this might have happened to you regardless of the timing or the plays? Um, just how do you think your kind of your body reacted to the game? Yeah, you know, the football, it, it's a violent game. Um, you know, if, if you t- talk to someone who had knew nothing about football and you explain the game to them, they would think anybody that plays football is crazy because – I mean, you have grown men running at you full speed, just trying to take your head off, you know, to, to, to put it in a way that someone would understand it. So it's it's pretty crazy, but that's what you sign up for. You know, you know going into it the risks that come with it. Um, but after my first injury, um, I was all, you know, super sad about it. But then I, I really found a, you know, found a strong faith in God and, and just knew that, you know, there was a reason he was keeping me out of the game. You know, you never know what could have happened had I played one more down. Um, 
if I wouldn't have gotten hurt, you know, if, if I would have just kept going and not gotten hurt that play, who knows the next play I could have, you know, broke my neck or something or, or been paralyzed, something along those lines. So, you know, looking back at it, you know, I have no regrets on my career and, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful for all the memories I was able to build. And yeah, there's some what ifs that will pop into my mind every now and then, but you know, it's life. You got to move on. You only got one life and then, uh, you know, there's no reason to, to drag anything on. A small silver lining I remember from uh, the aftermath of your final injury was a shout-out on Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center show. That is another uh, clip related to you that kind of went viral and took off. Uh, what did that mean to you to see that your story and your hard work and your recovery had kind of been recognized at that level? Yeah, you know, that was that was unreal. Um, I Scott Van Pelt like, just tweeted me out of nowhere and said, like, sorry about your injuries. Uh, make sure you watch the show tonight. And I, like, Scott Van Pelt is, like, the number one for me. Like, I always used to watch his show starting at 11. Um, I used to watch it every single night. And he would always do the one big thing. And that night it was about me. So, you know, it, it was pretty cool, um, pretty surreal again. You know, obviously I wish it would have been for, for a different reason. But, you know, it was cool to, to see the national story. Um, and for him to do something like that really means a lot to me. All right, reflecting on your career, um, what would you say your favorite moment from your playing days at Illinois, um, just if you had to pick one? Yeah, this this, this is an easy one for me. Um, it was the last week in my freshman year, uh, we were playing Northwestern, and it was Thanksgiving weekend, I believe, because I had like 40 family members there. And I, they were, all came in from out of town to all come watch us play. And first off, we won the game, went to a bowl game, which was awesome. But the one play I, I scored in the south end zone, um, just like a 20-yard route, and my whole family was sitting in that end zone. So I just turned around and looked at all of them. And it, like, just thinking about it now puts that picture right in my mind, like I'm there again. Um, so that is something, you know, I'll never forget. All right, before I let you go, Mikey, I want to talk a little bit about what uh, post-football life is like for you now. So... Just out of curiosity, are you uh, a fan of the game? Do you watch a lot of college football, a lot of NFL? How are you kind of consuming the sport uh, now that you're not playing it anymore? Yeah, I am a football nut. You know, I I don't think I'll ever let it go in terms of not watching it or any of that. Um, I watch football, you know, Saturdays I watch all day. Sundays I watch the NFL all day. Um, It's almost like an addiction that, you know, I can't stop. But I love it. You know, it – it allows me to feel a part of the game, you know, even though I'm not on a team anymore. Um, at, at first, it was a little bit tough, you know, after I got injured, but now I'm starting to, you know, really get over all that and become a fan of the game. Who are some wide receivers you admire, either when you played against them or guys you see in the Big Ten now that are uh, doing their thing? Um, You know, that's tough to say because in terms of Big Ten, I, I don't really watch many teams outside of Illinois. Um, but I know in, in the NFL, you know, any of those slot receivers, uh, you know, Julian Edelman, um, who just is fearless out there going over the middle. Because, you know, if you haven't done it before, you don't understand, um, you know, what it takes to do something like that. Um, so just seeing him go out there week in and week out and, you know, go right over the middle and, and take a hit and just keep going, keep on going. Um, to me, was that was someone I definitely looked up to while I was playing and uh, continue to do so now. All right, you said you still got a hunger for the game. I know you're in the uh, the business world now. 
But is there any other career aspirations um, to get back into the the sport, or do you um, want to continue, you know, kind of the path you're on in uh, in the corporate sector? Um, I mean, I'll, I think I'll always be, you know, in the corporate sector. Um, just, you know, putting my business degree to use. Um, but in terms of football, I, I coached a seven-on-seven seven, um, high school team last year, and I'm going to do so again this year. Um, and then I played on a flag football team a little bit last year, but that it just wasn't the same for me, so I don't think I'm going to do that again. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'll always be around the game. Um, you know, I would love to to start a broadcasting career as well, or, or do something like you, where, where you got your podcast going, which is awesome. Um, just to talk about the game and be around the game, because you know it was a part of my life for so long that you know it's something I'll never let go of. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. It's like you know, it's kind of I, I never played football, but um, playing high school sports it. <laughs> definitely for me is selfishly a way to kind of stay connected. So I definitely feel you on that. Um, out of curiosity, what are, what are some hobbies you have outside of, uh, you know, watching football and coaching uh, seven on seven? You got any like Netflix shows, Hulu shows, video games, what's going on uh, hobby wise? Yes. I, uh, I mean, I work out every sun, every now and then um, nothing like I used to in college, but you know, I like to work out if that's even considered a hobby. Um, just to, you know, let my mind free. Um, I play pickup basketball. Um, I'm, I'm not that good at basketball, but I play because it's a good workout and it's fun to be competitive again. And then video games. I'm sure you've heard of Fortnite. Um, I still play that every now and then with, you know, a bunch of my friends from school and my older brother. Uh, just to, you know, get connected. It, it brought a lot of us back together from our early childhood. Um, just talking on the game. Um, whenever we have downtime and then show wise, um, I'm not sure what station this is on. It's called all American. Um, it's, it's a really good show and I've been binge watched the whole first season and the second season just came out. So I'm super excited for that. I've heard of it. I'm not positive off the top of my head, which, uh, network it's on either, but, um, definitely heard of it. Uh, last question, Mikey, before I let you go, what do you miss most about the U of I campus since we're both, um, both U of I grads, I feel like we could, you know, relate here. So uh, what do you got? Um, you know, in terms of athletic side, I think just, you know, being around the guys all the time in the locker room, um, you know, your memories are made on the field, um, but your friendships, you know, they're made off the field in the locker room. Um, so I just, you know, miss being around them all the time. And it's like when I go back to school, you know, I always text my my roommate nick allegretti and i'm like dang like this is weird without you here like i just feel like something is missing because him and i we always used to do everything together um so definitely that and then you know believe it or not i do kind of miss school a little bit uh you know that might bring shock to some viewers but you know with football being so stressful all the time or not all the time but you know it is a it's a stressful to be a student athlete um, school allowed me to kind of escape that and just just zone in on that. So that's that's definitely what I miss. I thought you were gonna say uh, DP Doe or something like that. Oh, no, <laughs> I, I was a big Jets pizza guy. I know I probably catch some backlash for that, but I thought their thin crust pizza was really good. No, Jets was good. And um, were you at were you at West Quad when you lived down there? Where were you? Because I thought a lot of the football guys were kind of around that Jets pizza neighborhood. Yeah, no, I was in a Healy place. It's a new place. Yeah, it's on yeah. first, first and Green, right above the hub. 
Um, so I lived there my last like two and a half years. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. And, and it's strange because um, I'm a little surprised that, you know, not you in particular that you miss classes, but like I look back and I don't miss the schoolwork at all. Like I miss the campus lifestyle, but just I, I, like I do not miss having homework at all. Yeah, no, I mean, homework, no, I, I was not a big homework guy. Um, but just, you know, going to school and able to, you know, clear my mind and focus on something other than, you know, football, which seems to, uh, can, like, just take over our lives um, when that's what you do, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, so that that's why I, I enjoy going to class. No, yeah, it definitely makes sense. And, uh, Mikey, I appreciate you giving me some time um you know filling us in on what you're up to filling us in on your experience uh from a historic win this past saturday and uh letting us in and behind the curtain a little bit about your journey in illinois so i appreciate it yeah no thanks for having me alex all right thanks once again to mikey for joining me really appreciate him taking some time um being eager to do so and you know, I always appreciate when somebody, you know, has gone through a really tough, um, I guess, endeavor with injuries and and what can be, you know, not only physically damaging, but emotionally damaging, comes out and has uh, no issue with talking about those struggles. It was, it's always appreciated when an athlete is uh, willing to come on this show and do that, for sure. Um, so, shout out once again to him, and we'll move it along now to our stat head segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. And I explained at the top of the show, weekly segment with Harold, um, a lot of numbers, a lot of breakdowns of Big Ten football, the games that just happened and the games that lie ahead. And at risk of over-explaining, I'll toss it over to Harold and let him take it from here. It's the Stathead segment with Harold Shelton. And it starts right now. All right, we're back in the studio Myself, Alex Rue, alongside BTN researcher Harold Shelton. H, what's good, man? How are you? I'm good, man. You know, we've kind of hit the dog days. You know, we got eight games coming up this week, but, you know, November's right around the corner. Soon, that Venn diagram of hoops is going to start to overlap. We'll talk basketball on here as well. But first, we got uh, plenty of football to talk. Like you said, busy weekend coming up and a historic weekend to recap as a uh, result that we didn't even really think was possible talking last week happened at Illinois with uh, the Illini upsetting number six undefeated Wisconsin I kind of brushed over it last weekend I was like you know we take we expect Wisconsin to take care of business I'm not even gonna put it in the uh, outline for what we're gonna talk about so that's on me for you how surprising was this result and where does it stack up among upsets that you've seen during your time working uh, around and in college football so I would say, for one, shame on you for not, you know, seeing this happen. I mean, of course you thought Illinois was going to be, you know, undefeated. I'll get to my Wisconsin, point of view in a second on it. You know. I got some, some thoughts. <laughs> no, um, I thought that Wisconsin would kind of have a sleepwalkish kind of game, you know, a couple years ago when Illinois played them at home. I think Wisconsin only won 24-10. to 10. It was really an ugly kind of game. I kind of thought that, you know, Wisconsin would have a similar type game, but I thought they'd win the game. Like, I didn't think Illinois would find a way to do it. But, you know, kudos to them. 
Um, you know, the fact that Wisconsin was a 30-and-a-half-point favorite and lost, um, for a little reference, you know, that's the second biggest Big Ten upset uh, in the last 35, 40 years. I think 1982 mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota was a 32-point favorite and lost at Northwestern. Uh, so you're talking, you know, one of the biggest ones uh, in Big Ten play for sure. Um, and obviously the upset of the college football season – I mean, Michigan App State, you know, would, you know, is a similar type of where did this come from kind of upset. You know, it's only been five times since 2000 where you've had, you know, a team with a losing record, you know, in conference play beat a top 10 team, you know, minimum six games played. So, you know, this was one for the record books for sure. Yeah, we'll talk about what it means for Wisconsin as they now have a much tougher test against Ohio State looming. <clears throat> but just as somebody who – um, you know, as a close observer of the Illinois football program, just having grown up around there, gone to a lot of games, and kind of understanding the history and the ebbs and flows of that program, this was a legitimately shocking result. Like, it, it, under no circumstance did I expect Illinois to beat this Wisconsin team. Like you said, this is a Wisconsin team that hadn't allowed a first-half touchdown until Illinois did it. They hadn't trailed until Illinois, I guess, technically led at the very – uh, last second of that game <clears throat> and you know after they dominated by shutting out four of their first six opponents and you see what Illinois had done outside of maybe the second half against Michigan last week you think no chance right you think there, there's no way with an Illinois team that had been uh, unable to stop the run all year I mean they gave up almost 700 yards in Nebraska with Jonathan Taylor coming in there that they would you know maybe make it a game but but certainly not win and then uh, have the game play out the way it did. And I think the craziest thing about it was, like, it wasn't really a fluke. You watch that game, and Illinois did cause turnovers, but they, they weren't particularly lucky. They had, I think, two touchdowns called back. They missed a field goal. They did not have just some wild confluence of events go their way. Um, you know, they, they made it happen. They they controlled the line of scrimmage after that first drive. They, they held Jonathan Taylor in check. They caused timely turnovers and they got it done that Brandon Peters made a huge throw there were some big catches a couple of big runs by uh, Reggie Corbin and and Dre Brown late in the game and then the kicker James McCord stepped up and put it through at at a time when you know looking back at the history of Illinois football and kind of the unfortunate um, events that have happened to them over the years I thought you know this would be this would be fitting if you were to miss this and just send you know that program into an even deeper spiral but they did it um it puts kind of the Lovey Smith era in a whole new light, I think. I think uh, the fan base has, you know, maybe not done a complete 180, but has recognized that this is something that they can work with going forward with him. And I don't know, it's just shocking. Like, I, I, I can't, I, I'm still surprised that it happened. Um, it's, it's exciting for that fan base. And now we'll see if they can build on it. And we can talk a little bit about, later about uh, the Illinois Purdue game coming up and the bull implications. But. I just felt like, you know, with a historic upset, I wanted to frame that a little bit with just how um, you know, historic the game was. So, you know, we get your, your Michigan State perspective sometimes on here. We haven't really got many opportunities to, to give the Illinois perspective. So there it is. And, um, yeah, if any final thoughts on, on, you know, for a numbers guy like yourself, uh, like I said, uh, maybe once every 10 years, once every 20 years event. It's funny, if you look at the box, you wonder how Illinois won the game. You know, they, they got out game by 105 yards. They went 2 for 10 on third down. 
They had the ball for 19 minutes. Didn't run a play in the red zone. Didn't run a play in the red zone. Um, you know, it just you, when you look at it, you're just wondering how on earth did they pull it off. But it's like an I Iowa that, game almost. Right. Like Iowa does that all the time. But <clears throat> three turnovers, like you said, two in the fourth quarter. I was really, really surprised to see the run defense play as well as it has, considering mm-hmm. they gave up, you know, 295 to Michigan, over 300 to Minnesota and Nebraska, just on the ground alone. Uh, so I was surprised to see that. Seems like they changed it up a little bit, brought safeties up a little more instead of just staying back in normal Tampa 2 that Lovey likes to run. Uh, so, you know, it was good to see the adjustments be made. And, you know, they got, you know, big performances from a lot of the transfers. You know, the, the Michigan quarterback mm-hmm. and the, you know, USC receiver. And, sure. You know, between that and, and you know, Milo Eifer from, uh, Eifler from Washington, I mean, that might be the way going forward. Just you know, get some more of these high impact transfer guys, and you know, they see they're, if they're having success at Illinois, maybe more of them start to look that way. Yep, and um, we'll move on from from that game for now, and, and talk implications of it. Looking ahead to this weekend, and like we said, this weekend's packed. So let's touch on one more game before we move on from uh, last Saturday, the Penn State Michigan game. That was um, a top twenty game, whiteout game at Beaver Stadium. All the uh, pop and circumstance surrounding that, and um, it, it ended in a way you know that you kind of hate to see with um, the ball by being dropped um, in the end zone, and it was Ronnie Bell, right, who yeah. dropped it. Yeah, Ronnie. I mean, you just hate to see like somebody getting emotional over it on the sidelines, and obviously uh, it's a high intensity, high pressure situation. Penn State comes away with it. Their their hopes um, in the East are still alive. Michigan, you know, barring some unforeseen circumstance, probably. Uh, out of that race, considering what Ohio State did to Northwestern on Friday night. So uh, what did you see out of that game that maybe makes you think Penn State can keep this rolling? Um, They'll have Minnesota coming up soon. They have Michigan State before that this weekend, and eventually Ohio State. Do do you think everything's rolling along as scheduled as James Franklin would like to see, or or did they uh, show some cracks in that game that might leave you concerned if, if they want to take that leap? So after the Iowa game, I, I was more all in on Penn State. You know, they for a while they've had trouble running the ball against really good teams. You know, everything was feast or famine, and you know they get a big run, but when they need to get two yards, they couldn't get two yards. Uh, the Iowa game, you know, Noah Kane runs it, you know, 22 times, gets over 100 yards. You know, they basically run the clock out in the second half on Iowa. That was not the case mm-hmm. uh, this past weekend. Uh, the defense was on the field too long because the offense could not sustain the drive. Obviously, the big plays were there. K.J. Hamler, you know, had a field day uh, against that secondary. But, you know, when they needed to sustain the drive and rest that defense, you know, those conversions were few and far between. They had a lot of issues on third down. They had issues running the ball. Uh, you know, despite having all of that talent in the backfield, Sean Clifford had six more carries than anybody else on the team. I think that's a little concerning. Uh, second straight game that they've been under 300 yards. Now, the fact that they were able to win both of them obviously is a good sign. Uh, but, you know, for an explosive offense like this to be held under 300 yards, I think it's a little concerning to happen twice in a row. All right, so before we even talk about Ohio State-Wisconsin, um, let's just keep – on the Penn State track, and I want to know your thoughts about them going to East Lansing and taking on the Spartans because, you know, Michigan State, you know, unranked, not looking like one of their better years under D'Antonio. You think Spartans can give them a game just based off what you just said? 
It, it It's an absolute trap game for Penn State, um, more so of the situation in general, just the fact that they've played, you know, two physical ranked opponents at night, you know, not have to get back up for another game. Michigan State's kind of had their number each of the last two years. They've beaten Penn State when Penn State was in the top ten, including last year when mm-hmm. Michigan State was unranked. Michigan State's coming off a bye, a chance to get healthy, maybe recalibrate after the Ohio State and Wisconsin losses. Uh, so I think it's a really tough spot for Penn State. I'm not saying that they'll lose the game, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, I mean, Michigan State's giving them all kinds of trouble. Oh, yeah, it, one five in the last right. six. Yeah. Um, you know, last year Penn State absolutely should have won the game, but, you know, Felton Davis mm-hmm. made a play late. Uh, you know, two years ago when they played in the rain, it was a three-and-a-half-hour delay in East Lansing. Lewerke throws for 400 yards. They kicked the field goal at the end. So, you know, we've seen Michigan State kind of derail some Penn State seasons in the past. Um, it would be wise for Penn State to not overlook this game. Yeah, and kind of touched on it in previous episodes, but this is kind of the time of year where the national picture forgets about Penn State a little bit because they stumble, you know, whether it's against Ohio State in a heartbreaker or they let that carry over to the Michigan State game, which they've done the last couple of years. So they got to get out ahead of this. They can't let, you know, Michigan State derail their season again. They got to, uh, you know, Obviously, stand defeated as long as possible. But when this one, you know, then you got Minnesota next. And at least they have a bye in between. Exactly, too, so week off Minnesota and then, then Ohio State. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, keep building hype where it's kind of fizzled out in the last couple of years. Um, let's talk Ohio State, Wisconsin, um, just because you know we can get to Notre Dame, Michigan in a little bit and some of the other games. But this was the game that everyone's looking forward to. Um, I, I do think that Wisconsin came out conservatively against Illinois. And you know, maybe not take them took them lightly, but did not uh, come out you know firing on all cylinders because it was Illinois and because you had Ohio State to plan for next week, and I think that's just human nature. So now the game is watered down a little bit, the hype at least, but uh, you know it's still a huge game, and Ohio State and Wisconsin both have a ton to play for. Do you think there's going to be a hangover at all for the Badgers, and do you think it's going to matter against an Ohio State team that's looked invincible so far? Yeah, I, I keep waiting for Ohio State to have that letdown, you know, kind of similar to what Wisconsin did last week, mm-hmm. you know, kind of figure, hey, you know, potential trap game, playing Friday night, you know, Northwestern's wounded, you know, they've played them tough in the past, and, you know, they blow right through them. Oh, you know, Michigan State, really good defense, have a chance to play tough, blow right through them. This Ohio State team's one of the best I've seen since I've been here. Um, they don't really seem to have a weakness uh, at least I haven't seen one so far. Maybe Wisconsin does some things on Saturday to change my mind, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, they seem to be the most complete team in the, in America, if you ask me. Um, so even if Wisconsin was undefeated, I still think it's a bad matchup for them. Um, I think Wisconsin needs to find a way to confuse Justin Fields, put some pressure on him, give him some looks that he hasn't seen. I do think he holds on to the ball too long at times and can take some sacks uh, Unnecessarily, and so I think that's Wisconsin's only way to stop them on offense. Um, and if they get behind early, then the game plan has to go out of the window where they can't control the clock. And Jonathan Taylor has issues, and you know they're in third and long all day, and becomes a pass rush drill. I think it's a really, really big problem. Yeah, they're so well rounded. The Buckeyes are. I mean, like you said, not really a weakness. Last year, the balance was just thrown off with, with the defense struggling. And they that's, couldn't run the ball. And they couldn't, couldn't run the ball, run and that's ball. been fixed. But, no, yeah, and then Dobbins look, is looking amazing. Master Teague is, is, will probably start for 
most other teams. He's fifth in the conference in rushing. Right. He's a backup. Right, and and the receiver core is just ridiculously deep and talented. Um, like you said, it, it's it's you know a very complete team. I saw them up close Friday night in Evanston. Went to that game, and like like you said, like you know, maybe he was expecting Northwestern to put up a fight. They, they tend to muddy the waters and and drag teams into the mud with them. But um, it was it was just you know the second quarter. Like we've talked about with Ohio Tell State, you, man, they blow your doors off. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it was like, it was like 7-3 or something, yeah, yeah, like 10-3. Yeah, 7-3 going yeah. the second quarter, and, and then it's, you know. I actually went back into, like, their office to do a little bit of, of work, and that's when Ohio State kind of took off on them. Yeah. So I, I walked outside, and I'm like, what's going on? And it's like 28-3 or whatever. So yeah. they, they did it again. And um, I imagine Wisconsin will be pissed off going into, you know, this game because of, of what happened. They were obviously embarrassed on the national stage, but – uh, I just don't know, like you said, that it's going to matter. So we'll see. Um, and we'll move it along now to the uh, the team up north from Ohio State's perspective, Michigan, uh, just because this is one of those weird weeks where a marquee game pops up that's out of conference. Um, Notre Dame visited Northwestern around this time last year. This time they're visiting Michigan. Obviously going to be a huge you know, national story, a national game, and that always happens when these two teams match up. I've only seen Notre Dame play once or twice this year. I watched the Louisville game where they, they looked kind of shaky in their, their opener. Um, I haven't seen much of them since. I know the USC game was kind of close. Yep. Um, what do you expect with them going into a very hostile environment? And with Michigan now, you know, some of their goals, their their highest goals fading a little bit. How do you expect them to uh, – Welcome Notre Dame, I guess I'd respond to that. Yeah, see, I, I want to see if there's any carryover from, you know, the last 35 minutes or so from the Penn State game mm-hmm. where they completely outplayed Penn State. Uh, if Ronnie Bell catches that touchdown that we talked about earlier, I think there's a really good chance they win that game in overtime. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately for Michigan fans um, and that program, they just haven't found a way to kind of get that big win to kind of give them some juice going forward. Right. Uh, that's probably the best they've looked all year against a quality opponent, though, so I'm curious to see if it carries over. Um, the good news is, you know, they they can't dwell on all of the missed opportunities because of this game. You know, it's a top 10 match, a top 10 opponent. Uh, it's a rivalry game. Um, you know, try to get a little payback from last year. So it might be a blessing in disguise that this game is coming up because they don't have time to dwell on all of the missed opportunities. Um, even though, you know, the Big Ten race is probably over for them, like you said, this is still a chance to kind of build some momentum. Uh, you know, try to – you got three rivals in your last five games. If you still want to make a statement on the year, uh, it could start on Saturday. What do you think has hurt them the most? Um, I mean, Shea hasn't looked right to me. Uh, I think they lost more than they expected when Higdon moved on. Charbonnet's – I think Charbonnet's good. Um, but, you know, the running game, just from my uh, uninformed perspective, is not – looked as strong as it did last year. What do you think has them struggling the most as they fail to kind of close out these games? I feel like they still don't really know what they are offensively. Um, You know, last year, you know, even though they made the change with Gaddis and all that, I mean, they still averaged 35 points a game. Uh, You know, Patterson seemed a lot more confident. You know, he, he would get the ball out early. It wasn't one of those overthinking kind of things as we've seen him do in the past. Like in the Illinois game, it looked like he didn't even want to throw the ball downfield. Uh, Penn State game, you seemed uh, you know a lot more confident, a mm-hmm. lot more uh, sure and precise in terms of where he wanted the ball to go. He was actually running out of pocket, making plays. Um, I'd be curious. I'd be curious to see if he could do that again. 
Um, again, it's all about carryover for them, you know. Like, there's been a lot of talk about how people feel a lot better about Michigan based off of what they saw, you know, in the second half on Saturday. But it means nothing if they lose again uh, to Notre Dame this week. So I'm just curious to see if there's any carryover. Uh, to your point, you know, they have, they've had issues running the ball. I think the offensive line has been a disappointment considering that most people thought it would be the best O-line in the conference. Uh, they can't run it when they run, when they want to. The big plays haven't been there in the run game. Um, and, you know, they've got these three receivers that, you know, everybody talks about. And Ronnie Bell's been the best one, and he wasn't one of the guys that they talked about before the season. Uh, so I just think, you know, they don't really know what they want to be. They don't take enough shots downfield, and we kind of thought that would be the case since that was supposed to be the strength of the team. Um, you know, it's we're pretty much close to November. I mean, kind of are who you are at this point, I think. All right, well, that'll be a big one, like we said, and uh, definitely be watching 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern on Saturday night. Um, taking it to the Big Big Ten West now, and the two teams that uh, were the happiest outside of Illinois were, was Iowa and Minnesota. Um, their fans had to be thrilled with Illinois taking care of Wisconsin and really tightening that Big Ten West race. I mean, Minnesota controls their own destiny now. Iowa, you know, still has a shot at, at both teams. What do you, uh, what do you, I mean, do you expect them to struggle this weekend at all? Iowa's going to Northwestern, and Minnesota's got Maryland, another team that's been struggling. So uh, I've learned my lesson not to overlook any game after last week. <laughs> do, you, do you think either of those teams struggle, or do you think they, they keep it moving and keep the three-team race uh, kind of going strong? So it's interesting, you know, the Iowa's lost three straight to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. You know, they've all been really close games. Uh, to your point earlier, where they like to muddy the waters and take people in with them, this seems like that type of game sure. uh, this week. Um, you know, Iowa's really struggled to move the ball. I wouldn't be shocked if that was a, a 17-10-ish type of game. Um, I wasn't scored a touchdown in like two weeks or something. Isn't it something like that? Like, where they, they had touchdown? three. They've had three offensive touchdowns the last three weeks. Okay, and two of them came against Purdue. One right. of them was a short field after they recovered an onside kick. So, right. I mean they they've had trouble really. Sustaining it was the week before drives. this one. There was, it was they were really anemic. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, you know that Purdue defense is nothing to write home about. Uh, so the fact that they you know have struggled to run the ball. You know Nate Stanley's only had one touchdown pass the last three weeks. You know. Things a little disappointing from a three-year starter at quarterback there. So I think they need to be careful and not overlook Northwestern this week. Um, Northwestern obviously puts a lot into that game. There's been a lot. There's a lot of history there uh, of Pat Fitzgerald, you know, taking that Iowa game very personally. Mm-hmm. So I expect Northwestern to play their best game of the year. Whether that's enough to win the game remains to be seen. Um, and as for Minnesota, I mean, they're rolling along. They're seven and zero. Uh, potential for Josh Jackson to return this week. Uh, Anthony McFarland's supposed to be good to go after missing last week. He's been battling a high ankle sprain. Um, Maryland is they blew the doors off of Minnesota last year. You know they went into Minneapolis two years ago with a third string quarterback and one. Mm-hmm. So it'd be wise for Minnesota not to overlook the Terps. I know you know there's all the talk of eight no and the bye and Penn State coming up, but. I think if they just continue to take care of their business, uh, they could do some good things. And, and shout out to PJ Fleck for <laughs> after the game against Rutgers, saying, "You know, we're one and zero in the Rutgers championship series, and you're kind of doing hey, the same speak. thing again. Speak, man. You know, trying to get the one and zero in the Maryland championship series. So he he's got the tunnel vision. It's up to the players to do the same. Yeah, uh, for all the eye rolling, coach speak, and, and Fleck is uh, you know near the top of the 
leaderboard in that category. Got to give him a shout-out for following through with his uh, scholarship to Casey O'Brien, who's on the team, yep. the holder. Awesome story. Four-time cancer survivor. Got in um, for a hold, and, you know, it was a, a moving moment. That uh, took off, went viral, and rightfully so. You know, it's one of those things. It's, it's you know, you see him being showcased at the media day luncheon, and you know, his story kind of gained steam. And then it, it's good to see him get that moment actually on the field. It's crazy, crazy story. And like for the dude to have gone through what he did, he does not look like he's been through you know Agreed. the ringer like that. Like he's he's uh, looks like a football player. You know, he's beefed up, swole up. And when I met him over the summer at their practice, you know, he was, like, much bigger than me. I did not expect mm-hmm. that. He's, he's, a, he's a legit D1 football player. So, cool to see that. Um, all right, before we wrap up, a couple games with bowl implications that I want to touch on. Indiana's in good shape. They go to Nebraska, uh, to a Nebraska program and, and um, situation there that is, you know, a little in flux right now. Uh, Washington's off the team from... Uh, what I heard out of Scott Frost this week. And uh, Indiana, you know, like I said, is, is kind of chugging along here at a good pace. What do you think uh, is going to happen there? And do you, do you think um, both of those teams still have a good chance to make a bowl? Because Nebraska is at four wins, but, um, you know, with, with the way they've been going, with the injuries and everything, it's kind of uncertain. Uh, yeah, the injuries are a huge thing in this. We don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be for either team. Right. You know, Michael Penix left the game early last week. Uh, you know, he's questionable. Obviously, Martinez missed the Minnesota game. But it, he's been off for two weeks now since they were off last week. So he might be ready to go. Uh, Nebraska better hope he is. Um, he's a big step up from Noah Vedral. I saw fans calling for Vedral, you know, when Martinez was struggling earlier this year. And it's just one of those, like, Backup quarterback's you know, always exactly. the most popular guy. This is Adrian until, Martinez we're talking about here, Exactly. So. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Indiana's much more equipped if it becomes a backup QB situation. You know, Peyton Ramsey, uh, you know, bailed out the the Hoosiers last week against the Terps. You know, he's got a ton of experience. And just how about the fact that Indiana's favored in this game? If you would have told me that in August that, you know, Big Ten West favorite Nebraska would be an under a home underdog against Indiana, I wouldn't have believed you, and I don't think anybody would have. <laughs> But, you know, I think it just goes to show, you know, how both seasons have gone. You know, the fact that Indiana, you know, is off to their best start since 2007 and Nebraska is still kind of struggling trying to figure out what they want to be and who they want to be. This kind of goes to show how both seasons have gone. But I will say if Nebraska wins this game and Wisconsin loses, it it becomes a four-team race in that West going into November, and I think it gets very interesting. All right. We started with Illinois. We'll end with their uh, matchup at Purdue, a game that's made, you know, merits become pretty significant just with the Illini now having some bowl hopes resurface and with Purdue, you know, kind of needing this one if they want to go bowling. Um, You know, so it's kind of the play-in game for a potential bowl run. That's how I'm looking at it. And uh, I'd argue that the game in the grand scheme of things is a little bigger for the Illini just because Jeff Brom is firmly cemented at – Purdue, you know, he's building this thing. He has the injury excuse this year, um, rightfully so, with, with Rondale Moore and Elijah Sindelar being out. And, you know, Illinois, they look like this could be um, a season that's going off the rails a couple weeks ago. Credit to the players for not quitting, you know, for actually playing harder and responding uh, in a way that, you know, maybe not every team would. And, and now, you know, bowl game is very realistic because they have – 
Rutgers the following week and a very um, winnable crossover game, maybe, against Michigan State. You never know. Um, last time they played, they won. That was an eternity ago. And then, you know, games against Iowa and Northwestern remaining. So the path is there. What do you think is going to happen in West Lafayette? You know, kind of contrasting styles. Purdue is not um, anyway similar to Wisconsin in terms of style of play. And do you think this game will have some added sizzle with, um, like I said, maybe a postseason path on the line? I definitely think there's more interest in the game than it was a week ago. Uh, like you said, completely different styles. I want to see, you know, how Illinois responds. For one, everybody telling them how great they are, mm-hmm. all the pats on the back. Oh, you know, we beat Wisconsin, you know, whatever. Like, right now they play Purdue. Will they kind of go in there sleepwalking, thinking that, you know, they're on top of the world? Right. You know, do they get a dose of humble pie or not? We'll see. Uh, but the styles are completely different. Purdue doesn't even want to run the football. You know, they want to throw it all over the place, and their future is really bright with David Bell yeah. and Milton Wright and Jack Plummer. So I think Purdue probably wins the game, unfortunately for you. Uh, obviously, I could be wrong. But uh, I kind of like Purdue in this matchup. Um, I'll be curious to see, though, if Illinois, you know, just kind of their mentality in general – um, see how they come out and play because you're right. I think it's a much bigger game for them than it is for Purdue. You know, much uh, you know for Lovey Smith and just you know kind of the year three, year four for him to to kind of move forward. You know, the time is now. The schedule's right. there. Got to win. Got to put multiple good performances together. Yeah, Lovey Smith has alluded to it multiple times this week, just in kind of his victory lap media tour that Purdue embarrassed them last year, right? Big time. Like it was like forty six to seven. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, clearly if they can fix whatever mismatch that cost them dearly last year and uh you know see also purdue can kind of continue this development not a blessing in disguise necessarily but an opportunity for guys like Plummer and bell to shine while um the other guys are out so a lot of good stuff age we went a while today rightfully so huge weekend and um huge weekend awaits with plenty to talk about next weekend reflecting because the weekend after that is yeah, uh, not got, great. So yeah, four games, not not a ton of great ones. Right. So yeah, we had to empty the bucket this right. week. We'll look in the rearview mirror <laughs> next weekend, next week, and uh, hopefully we have a lot to talk about. So we will see you about the same time, about the same place. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. All right. Thanks once again to Harold and Mikey for joining me. Really appreciate it, and uh, really appreciate their perspective on a uh, pretty crazy weekend in the Big Ten and uh, especially down in Illinois um, a win that you know was a once in a decade thing for them at least in recent history and a once in four decade occurrence for the Big Ten so hopefully uh, we're able to frame it in a way on this show that uh, it reflects that historic uh, historic occurrence so Thanks to those guys. Thanks to my producer, Julie Bronder, as always, for stitching the show together. Appreciate everyone out there tuning in as well. And don't forget, if you're listening now and just streaming it on SoundCloud or wherever, you can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and YouTube. On the Big Ten Network uh, YouTube channel, there's a Tape 10 Podcast playlist. So find us in any of those uh, locations and leave us a review or rating if you enjoy the show. And we will talk to you next week here on Take 10 Podcasts.